Hi, this is Tina Black, and this is the B Series Podcast. Today, we'll be exploring untold stories of transformation and leadership. We hope you'll subscribe and check out the B books and send us your stories of transformation after listening. All right. I am actually sitting here in Florida, but I have been wanting to do this for the longest time with you. Ryan Halo, thank you so much for being on today. Oh, it's my pleasure. I'm excited to have this time with you. (laughs) Uh, I love it. So I met Ryan in the Paul Mitchell circles. And I remember the first time I met you, Ryan, and you came to my Paul Mitchell school in Fort Myers. And I said, please, you have to be a guest speaker. And you came in and I'll never forget that day. And you told a little bit of your story, but just hearing your story, I just know it's going to change so many people's lives, what you've been through and the things that you've accomplished. So Ryan Halo is a High, she went from a high school dropout to becoming a business owner at 21 years old. Yes, you heard it right, 21 years old. She's also a Paul Mitchell National Educator. She enrolled in the Paul Mitchell School Tampa at uh, 16 years old. I, it's such a cool story because my daughter did the same thing. We have, uh, you have very similar stories. And you became known as one of the youngest up-and-coming leaders in the beauty industry, and you now have have two locations with 20 plus team members for nine years you've been in business is that correct nine years yes yeah nine years and you were named one of the top 200 salons in North America I want to hear about that as well and you are a newlywed known as Mrs. Zampala is that how you say your last name uh, Zampella. Zampella. <laughs> and I really want to get to the um, meat of this because you had told me that uh, when you were 11 years old, your dad committed suicide and murdered your six-year-old brother. Mm-hmm. How can anyone actually get through a life like that, Ryan? Tell your story, please, and, and share um, your experience with that. And I know your mom was addicted to prescription meds. Uh, none of it is what you expect it to be. Or if you watch a movie and you see something like that happen, or if you were to imagine it in your own life, nothing is what you would have imagined it would be like. So when we first found out what was going on. Um, Yeah, I was 11 years old. It was Super Bowl Sunday. And basically, just my brother didn't come home from my dad's house. And um, I was a pretty mature kid. Uh, And I just had a sense that there was something really off. Um, And, uh, you know, all the adults around me kind of just crumbled and started freaking out. And I, I didn't really feel that way. It was, I don't know if I I assume it would be considered shock, but I was just, I wasn't freaked out. I wasn't, I knew it was like, wow, this is really bad. But, um, there was no like outbreak of emotion, anything like that. So you just, you're just watching everything happen around you. Um, ah, for my mom now, obviously, you know, it was a whole different experience. Um, she had actually gone to my dad's house and found the what had happened. So um, I can only imagine how hard that was for her. And uh, I'm grateful that at my age, I guess being pretty resilient um, helped out a lot. And before that, I'll say it, you know, we, ha- we had a good family, everything would be what you'd expect kind of cookie cutter. Uh, My parents did get divorced when I was about, I think it was seven. Uh, We moved down to Florida from New York and as a lot of Floridians do and had uh, a good relationship even after they were divorced and we would do things together on the weekend. So there weren't a lot of red flags. They would fight and they both had, you know, argumentative tendencies. And my dad had a little bit of temper, but he wasn't abusive or he was like the fun parent actually, where he'd let you have candy or he'd take you to the zoo on the weekend. And um, so we had weekends with him, normal weekdays with my mom. And I think it's important to talk about the mental health aspect and that when people um, feel lonely or they feel isolated or they feel like they don't have anything 
to live for or control of their lives because I'm sure he didn't really feel he lived in like not in a smaller house and working a night a night job and and my mom would argue about money and child support and taxes and uh he didn't have a girlfriend my mom finally started dating someone after many years and I just I think when you feel alone and you don't have anything to feel like you're living for and maybe wanted to gain a sense of control back from my mom and this is all just my interpretation of what happened but I I know that he didn't talk about any of this or feeling depressed or um, other than just arguing with my mom on occasion and who takes that seriously, you know? So that would be something that I definitely would want to spread awareness about, um, just talking about your feelings. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And because he was a very loving dad and was very good and it's just like, you don't think that you, I would never have expected that to happen. So that's kind of what it was like around that time. Um, and then going forward, it was just me and my mom and she had this new boyfriend and I was not so much of a fan uh, as an 11, 12 year old. With a, he's a little bit younger than her. and She was a successful nurse. And um, as time went on, it just, having gone through that and then him having her having this new boyfriend eventually husband I think it just drove more of a wedge between her and I and I just started doing my own thing and (laughs) she was either working a lot or you know in bed and whatnot and uh I think too very reasonably that you would be prescribed medications to cope with going through something that's pretty much the worst thing anybody can imagine. So I think it's unfortunate that there definitely are some irresponsible, uh, not to get political about it, but um, I think there are some, you know, irresponsible uh, practices in terms of what people get prescribed and what, and what they have to do to get that. So unfortunately, just however it came to be, um, my mom started to slip more into her own world of pain and pain management. And I just was doing my thing being a a social preteen and, and, you know, young teenager. And it wasn't too bad up until I'd say like four, when I was 14, 15, 16, she was no longer working. I was getting older and our relationship just started to get so, volatile 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 Mm -hmm. um and i i felt no sense of control and i felt um you know unsafe to extents and um there was a lot of just a lot of everyday struggle and um my mom thank god is is doing a lot better now and we have a much better relationship and i'm it's important to me to still be able to talk honestly about what the experience was, because I think part of the problem comes from when we deny reality or when we deny how we're feeling, that's when other, that's when we feel like we're alone. And that's when other people don't realize there are other people like me out there. So uh, yeah, that 14, 15, 16, I had to start feeling like I had to protect myself and start, I had friends, parents would, um, you know, take me in <laughs> for a couple weeks at a time and just got more of a sense of normalcy from that. And it kind of came down to me leaving without her permission because it was just that the hours at the house were not regular, It'd be, you know, up for three days, down for three days, that kind of thing. And it was hard to keep a school schedule and it was hard to just rely on cons- anything. <laughs> and I, I think when you're at that age, I might not have felt like it at the time, but you do need that consistency and that support and uh, to, to thrive. And another hard thing for me was that I was a gifted and honors, you know, class student. And uh, not that I was like a huge bookworm because <laughs> I was definitely very into socializing as well, but I, from a very early age was in honors and gifted classes. And it was pretty ingrained in me that I was going to go to the most extensive of college and be either the CEO of a company or a lawyer. And 
if I didn't do that, then people who don't do that, they're like losers. And that's kind of what I was taught growing up. And I think that was more common in society to think that way, maybe however long that's been, like 15 years ago. I'm uh, less accepted to take, I hadn't, I hadn't seen a lot of examples, say in our industry, for example, of people that were able to be professionals and be hairdressers <laughs> or business owners mm -hmm. to an extent where they were at that CEO level or whatever that looks like. So my picture of success was pretty clear that it was go to college or you're a loser. <laughs> and I mean, I didn't come up with this on my own. This was just, mm -hmm. you know, my perspective. And that's what I, small, the small bit I knew at that time. So when it came to a point where I just could not keep up in school, I was either getting, you know, stuck there trying to stay after or missing the bus and not having a way to get to school. And it got, it was impossible to keep up with my credits. And I started to feel that sense of hopelessness and I dropped out. And that was probably like one of the lowest time frames because I felt like my only chance to, to make something of my life was, had slipped through my fingers and what could I make of myself? And that's when you're more susceptible to even like why try or, and um, I do believe that that was when I had a divine intervention of meeting someone that asked me to be her, um, her assistant. <laughs> and she had seen me with some of these young kids and she, one of them was her nephew. And she said, you know, do you want to shampoo for me um, for $25 a day? And I was all over it. <laughs> I was like, yeah, absolutely. I sure will. And I didn't, I didn't sit and say, oh, $25. Like, I, I think now like what people would say if I offered them that, but for me, that was like mm -hmm. the coolest opportunity and I was all for it. So that was really where I started to look at hair and um, this industry in a different light um, because I had worked a little bit shampooing for family and a family salon, but I never saw it, like I said, as, as a serious career. So. Yeah. Wow. Okay. This is amazing, Ryan. Um, I want to go back a little bit because I'm going to call this be resilient. And you said it earlier and it, it's interesting because I wonder what that untold story is for you with the resiliency, because, you know, knowing that your dad committed suicide and your brother was murdered and you said that you just kind of, you were able to kind of put on this face of resiliency and not uh, not, it didn't affect you. What do you think was that, what was going on through your head and did it affect you later? And did you look back and did you, uh, you said talking about things and you just talking through this process, because I believe that the more you talk about something, the less you give power over it too. Because I think I've watched people destroy their lives and create a mental illness by holding things in and then they become passive aggressive because they don't talk about them. Mm -hmm. And so one thing I love about you, Ryan, is you're very interpersonal. And on the DISC scale, I would probably give you a high I because you talk, you like to talk. And I think that's really healthy and I think there's so many times people just hold things in and harbor it and they harbor resentment, right? And so your resiliency is what's made you so successful. I mean, who can really get through and become as successful as you? I mean, that's crazy, you know, knowing the story in you. And I, I hear, I mean, my gosh, I know you have too sitting down and talking to future professionals that, you know, broke their toenail and their fingernail and their life is falling apart. You know, yeah, I'm not underestimating, but, but what a great coach and mentor you have to be for people. And no wonder why you're such a great leader because people probably know your story and they're like, wow, if Ryan can do this, then I can do this. Like, that's incredible. So what would you say would be that untold story for you that you were able to like really protect yourself? I'm trying to think back, you know, we evolved as people and um, I always believed that I was going to make the most out of my life. Um, and I always believed that I could do whatever I decide to do. And um, I think that's why I was so upset when I had to drop out of school because I was like, 
I, I felt like that almost cut off my opportunity to make the most out of myself. So I had a little momentary, um, you know, lapse in reality, because that's not reality. That did not define my ability to make the most out of my life. But that when I felt like I wasn't going to be able to, then it freaked me out. Um, but always, I've just always believed that I can do what I decide to do. And uh, I have, I, I love people and I'm very social, but I am very independent. Like I won't wait for someone else to, to give me an opportunity. I'll find a way. And when I, when I was younger, I wasn't so emotional and I didn't like to cry. I like to be strong. And as I've gotten older, and not that I was hiding crying or feelings when my, I don't want to confuse that, but I, I really didn't feel the things when that happened. Um, I wasn't crying by myself or doing anything. I would talk about it. It was just, it was what it was. I, I wasn't mad at my dad. My mom was very mad at my dad. I didn't feel anger. I just felt like immediate acceptance, of course, missing them and, you know, being sad and, knowing that it could have been different, but it, it wasn't. And I don't, I don't know. <laughs> um, mm, that's good. And then as I got older though, um, actually when I started Paul Mitchell, I think that helped me tap a lot into, into my emotional side because we do color personality tests and similar disc and all the different personality tests. And I really enjoy, um, this one that we use at our salon to help us communicate and, I'm a yellow that has certain qualities about uh, high leadership and um, high, very inventive and, and self-driven, but they're also very emotional. They just don't express it in a fluffy way. It's very like to the point. So I think I didn't know how to wrap my head around emotions because I am pretty blunt. And I just, if I say it, I feel it, I say it. If I don't, I, I don't. And that's gotten me into trouble. And I've had to learn that as a leader, how to... <laughs> speak differently to everybody for what they need. Um, so when I went to Paul Mitchell, I, and I, we got more involved with fundraising and the different speakers that were coming and that I had never really been exposed to anything inspirational, I don't think. And uh, there's so much I was exposed to that I hadn't been before. And maybe even just serving people, I got so much more in touch with my inner, more deeper emotional sensitivities and, cry because I was happy or you know have just so have being in Paul Mitchell definitely made me a lot more sensitive and able to express the emotions that were there I just couldn't feel them the same way mm, yeah wow this is good stuff yeah no this is good so this is what I put down uh, Ryan, number one, to be resilient because we all need resiliency to be a great leader, right? So you, some people just have to build that resilience that they have. And so number one, uh, what I heard you say is you protected yourself and you protected yourself uh, at one of them was your mom and you had to protect yourself from the toxicity that she had and you removed yourself and you instead you loved her from a distance and that's mm -hmm. so healthy because I've watched so many people my staff my future professionals get caught up in the drama of their parents and they're like well I should be like them and they just get caught up in it they still live at home with them and it just it ruins and destroys their life but you made that decision you're like no this is wrong you know here and you probably had an opportunity to say, well, here's my mom. She's a professional nurse and she's on prescription meds. So maybe I should be on prescription meds. You could have said that, but no, there was something inside you and you tapped into that. You listened to your emotions and you listened to the warnings. You listened to those warnings and you said, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. You had a little lapse, but you know, we all have a little bit of a lapse, but it was short lived and you made some really, really conscious decisions. So number one, sometimes we've got to remove those toxic people and sometimes their family, sometimes yeah. their family and love them from a distance. And number two, uh, believe in yourself. I love that because you knew that whatever you set your mind to, you could do it. And you know, what's that untold story? Because that's huge. Most people don't believe in themselves. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. It took me a long time to really believe in myself. I was kind of going through the motions in my life. 
And then finally, I, and I, I still get better and better and better at it. But now that I know some of my strengths and I have more affirmations, once I understood my value, how valuable I was, and gosh, I didn't go through anything near what you went through, Ryan. And so what's that untold story for you to believe in yourself? Well, I'm sure I was born with some of this. <laughs> I don't recall any one specific thing other than just being empowered. I, I do have a strong family of women and support of the support of men. My grandpa was so great to me. Um, my grandma as well, my mom's parents and a lot of loving family around me. But I, I always believed that I had gifts and they were given to me by God to create the best out of my life that I could create good for other people, um, bring something to the world that would be a, be a contribution. So whether it's an artistic ability or if it's a, you know, ability to help people, uh, I always want it. I feel like at the end of the day, the gifts I had are here for a purpose. So not to brag because I'm, so smart or I'm so whatever, <laughs> you know, um, even like singing, I, I was really into singing before I started, um, the hair path. And I was like, mm. Oh, if this would be because that was what I'm meant to do. I'm meant to bring to the world. And apparently I was meant to do something else. <laughs> so that's the direction I went with. And, um, and speaking to resiliency and also uh, being able to adapt, and I, I had a habit of ha being kind of fixed in like what I believed in. And that can be a good thing to stand for things and really believe and not waver in those beliefs. But then I have to, had to learn that I don't always know what's best and being able to pivot when the signs are there and being presented to you, you know, it's like doing hair. <laughs> I really kind of fought that for a while. And then it was just kind of undeniable. It, it felt amazing. I saw the, the hope and the future in it. And I was like, okay, well, if these opportunities are being presented, then it must be a bigger path that's meant for me than what I can come up with. So yeah, that, no, that's so good. That's, I added that to number six. So that number two is believe in yourself. Number three, I loved what you said. Don't wait for someone else find a way. Yeah. And let's talk about that because what's that untold story for you? Because I've watched so many people, they're just waiting, waiting. In fact, even I think about it, my students in our parliamentary schools, that they're waiting for the teacher to show up. But yeah. I'd say when the student shows up, the teacher will appear and they're just, they're like, they're not serving me. They're not giving me the type of training that I should be having, blah, 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 blah. Right. But yeah. yet, they're not showing up in their greatest capacity. They're showing up late. They're, uh, they don't look the part. They look disheveled. They're not ready. They're, they're in victim mindset mode, right? And yeah, so- that, that's exactly oh. what I was gonna say is that's just a victim mentality. And if you believe you're a victim, you're gonna be a victim. And if you believe that you can control your life, then you're going to control your life. If you believe you're happy, you're gonna be happy. If you believe you're sad, you're gonna be sad. And I agree with you on that. Yeah. Don't wait for someone else. Uh, find a way. There's so many different paths to get to where you want to go. I mean, I know me, there's so many times I'm thinking, okay, I got this path in my head. I already know how it's going to go. And it's like, whoa, wait, maybe there's an alternate path here. And, but I have to train my brain for that alternate path, which I think is going to tie into number six here in a moment. But what I love that you said, number four, uh, to be resilient, you have to have acceptance of people's choices. You accepted your dad's choice of what he did, and you accepted your mom's choice, and you didn't take that on yourself because I watched so many people, Ryan, treat their parents as if they are God. And so their whole lives are revolved around that. Their entire life is going to therapy talking about their parents as if they were a God. No, they're human beings. Mm -hmm. They make choices too. 
How are you able to do that? And how do you continue to do that as a leader? Because I know that's a really rough patch so many times. And I used to be really bad of accepting people's choices because I'd be like, how could they do that? I'd be so angry. And, you know, as a leader, you lose incredible people on your team that make wrong choices for their life. And you're so angry and so upset, but now I'm getting better at it. It's about awareness of discovering that and honor people's journeys. How are you, how are you able to do that? So as a typical control freak, I don't say that that comes naturally. Uh, Starting from my mom, I was so angry with her for many years because I did know what it was like to have a normal life. So I had expectations. I was like, you're my mom. You're supposed to be a good parent. Like you're supposed to do this or do that. And um, so I felt a lot of resentment and anger about that specifically. And then I did get to a point where I realized it was unhealthy for me and there was no good to come out of it. So if it's not serving you, then why are you holding on to it? And um, I would either, if she was feeling healthy to me, then I would try to have some relation. And then when I felt like it was starting to become unhealthy for me, I would create distance. And that's, some people could think that that's wrong or, or not being a good family member or loyal or respecting your parents. I don't, I think you first and foremost have to preserve your well being in a way that doesn't do harm to other people, but you can't bring yourself down with someone else there, no matter who they are, because who is that helping? You know, it's not going to help them. And I no. see people get wrapped up in other people's drama or other people's sadnesses and they think they're helping but they're not helping it's codependency and it's not help it's bringing both people down so definitely took me some time with my mom I was young you know we're we're all young at some point and I think being I'm more mature about certain things like that and really hard to understand as somebody who likes to help people and who either is leading people or likes to help their family or their friends and genuinely cares about people's well-being, it is, it is hard. And that's probably where you relate to this too, is that if you feel that something, you want to say no, but we feel because mm-hmm. that something is better for somebody else and they don't want to go along with that. Sometimes that can be very upsetting because you know mm-hmm. you're in, looking out for their best interests, but if you, tr- you can't control people and all you can do is try to help them. And if you just could try to control, if you try to control them, you end up alienating them anyway so or creating a you know hostility so that's hard for me too (laughs) and I think all of my team will tell you especially the ones that have been with me for four five six seven years they'll tell you that that's been a a journey for me and I never stop working to be better because I think as a leader you have to constantly constantly be working on yourself to help other people work on themselves and I specifically have put a lot of care into understanding that I can't control the things even if I think they're in someone's best interest my grandma she she's uh, got some health issues and I, I'll get so upset because I want to help her and I'll be like you know if you eat this way or you go for walks and I'm like just gotta let it go so yeah I oh I hear you I love what you're talking about, Ryan, because this is huge. The quote I got from you is, if you try to control people, then you end up alienating them anyway. That, that was a powerful statement right there. And so I think we all should write that one down. First of all, I know I did because I want to keep reminding myself that because as a leader, it's, it's a tendency that we have trying to control people. And, uh, and you talked about codependency. I don't want to like just brush over that because... Uh, what is your definition of codependency and how can you help somebody right now to know that they're actually in that codependency? Uh, I wouldn't mind doing some research on the definition, but my best uh, experience or explanation of the experience is um, relying on someone in a way that's unhealthy. Uh, When you are relying on them in a way that, they feel like they need you and you feel like you need them in ways that are not in your best interest. You know, um, when you, even to the, to the point where if you're like always venting to the same person and then they always feel like they need to vent to you. And I don't know, even 
similar to, to if you, you can have dependency on substances, you can have dependency on people, um, you can enable people. Uh, I've had friends that, you know, were have, having their own things they needed to work through and I wanted to help them so much and like save them. I don't know why, but, at, you know, creating an unhealthy balance, but then I was doing, that was creating, um, you know, a negative effect for me. And then it's just like a, a circle. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and it's interesting because most of the time it happens with our own family members, yeah. you know, and because we're kind of stuck with our family. And so we're like, well, if we can't beat them, let's just join them. Let's be a part of this. You know, even though we mm -hmm. at one time had this little nudge in our heart, like this isn't healthy. Maybe I need to separate myself from my family for a while. And again, like I said, love them from a distance. And it's interesting because the people we start out with in our lives, we rarely end up with in our lives. And I watch my leaders in our companies, which they're kind of starting to break off of those types of codependent relationships, those toxic relationships, because they're seeing that those types of people aren't serving them to go to the next level. They're holding them back and they're like pushing them into a lifestyle that's not that that's not good for them, right? And so they're identifying it, which is beautiful, but our job as a leader, it's so hard, is try to help them identify that without controlling them because they're gonna make their own choices and allow them, I love that you said, accept people's choices, just let it go, who cares, build a bridge and get over it, as Wayne Claybaugh says in the Paul Mitchell schools. I mean, it's probably one of the best quotes that really helped me to really cope with these type of people. And so number five, I put down, you have to know yourself to grow yourself. And personality types are huge. We, we have what we call strength walls in our companies where we show uh, Strength Finder. We love Strength Finder 2.0. We love disc assessment. We love Enneagram. We love anything and everything we can get our hands on for people to identify their personality types. And I love that you do that too, because it helps you to get in touch with your emotions, to see how you are reacting to people, to kind of see where your strengths are, maybe strengths that you overuse that become a weakness, things that are affecting people in your company because the highest form of leadership is leading yourself. Let's talk about that because there's no way you would have two companies, two thriving companies, top 200 salons in, the, in North America if you weren't doing this. Talk about that process and why people need to invest in themselves. What do you do to invest in yourself? Uh, great question. Uh, <clears throat> so we have our whole culture and one of our, our missions is to always be growing uh, personally and professionally and to be of service. So those kind of go hand in hand. Um, starting out when I was 21 and I took on the salon, the first salon, I, that was one of those situations where I said, I, you know, I never wanted to, to own a salon, just like I never wanted to do hair, but I believe that, okay, God's saying, hey, there's this opportunity. What 21 year old gets this? I was the, I always make this joke because I was the only one uh, pretty much in class when they would say, who else owned their own salon one day? Everybody would raise their hand. I'd be like, nope, I'm gonna travel and be a freelance <laughs> artist or freelance artist. So, you know, that was, another uh, time to pivot and going going into the salon as a high school dropout with you know very little money or anything like that I, I had ten thousand dollars from my my dad dying in a college fund and my grandma put in the other ten thousand dollars and we purchased the salon for twenty thousand dollars but it was basically just purchasing purchasing equipment it wasn't uh, established as it was a, it was a whole new salon, you know, when we took over no, no clientele, no employees, just me. <laughs> so right then and there I had to be willing to, to do the work to learn. So self-education it, it is just like everything for me. <laughs> and, um, starting with that one really important thing I had to learn. So it's kind of out of necessity, uh, it's either grow or die. And I went to work looking up every resource I could and, and talking to any person I could. And, um, from there, it, it just, I just kept 
trying to look for little ways to be better, to run the salon better, to, it, it take, working on myself, definitely, a lot of things weren't good in the beginning. Like I had family members working, me and my grandma and my cousin and then some of my best friends. And there's super pros and super cons to that. And I mean, it, it works for us and it's kept, it's made some things very special, but it also created a lot of hostility and different things I had to learn how to work through. So I wasn't listening to, to audible books and YouTube videos and uh, TED Talks. I don't know how I would have navigated that. And I mean, they'll all say that I've come a long way and I don't have shame in the fact that I didn't start where I am now. And I know I'm not even perfect. I, I know I'm not ever going to be perfect. So um, it just have to start where you're at and, and look for what you can change today. Mm. And that goes for anybody in any, whether you're a stylist, you're just coming out of school, you've been a stylist for 20 years, whatever it is, I think it's as soon as you stop being willing to grow and evolve, uh, you cut yourself off. And specifically when in regards to relationships with other people, it was hard for me as we'll say my yellow personality, I'll try to, I'll, I'll send you the book. So you know what I'm talking about, but I should have one laying around here somewhere. Uh, da, da, I think Carol Rittenberg is her name, but it's just color personality, mm -hmm. uh, red, yellow, green, and orange. And the yellows um, <clears throat> being so blunt a matter of a fact, most of the hairstylists or most artists are green, which are a lot more emotional and fluffy. Mm. So when you talk to someone who has fluffy, not in a bad way, like they're very making big hand gestures here. They're, they're dreamy and creative and, but have a lot of emotion and, and can take things. And if you're a person that's talking really direct and blunt and it might sound like you don't care. I'm like, well, it's, if your intention is to say one thing in your, your mouth, if they hear something different, you're still saying the wrong thing. Does that, it, you're only mm -hmm. saying what other people hear. Right. You're not saying what you mean to hear. So if I mean to say uh, one thing and, and it sounds like something else to that person, then I'm really responsible for what they hear, not for what I, what I say. Um, because that's communication. It's a two-way street. And uh, yeah, so <laughs> doing a lot of work on, on that aspect of things and being able to hear the feedback about what isn't working for other people that is happening either from my leadership or in the salon, because as a leader, everything that happens is your fault. <laughs> and you have to take that on and, and to your heart because it's so easy to blame other people and say, well, they don't want to work hard or they don't want to, you know, do this or that. I need to always look every day at what I can do to change the atmosphere to help get them going in the direction that is going to give the outcome that I'm wanting, which is everyone's success. Mm -hmm. so that's oh, wow. <laughs> I love that you guys have a culture of growing and always be growing you said and we we always talk about grow or go you know so how are you growing this year you know and, and i love that you said when you stop growing and evolve you cut yourself off mm -hmm. so true that's a powerful statement and then you said start where you are and look where you can change today that's it you know just like what small shifts can you make and constantly constantly getting in touch with yourself, always, always knowing yourself. And then number six, I put down, uh, be able to adapt. You don't always know what's best. You have to be able to pivot. Let's talk a little bit more about that because you have to be adaptable, right? Mm -hmm. You have to be adaptable. I could have called this whole thing be adaptable because mm -hmm. that's, you actually have, uh, I mean, look at your life. You've had to adapt to so much trauma in your life, so much childhood trauma and become the person that you are. But I know that it's what's made you the great leader that you are. I always say things don't happen to you. Mm -hmm. They happen for you, for other people. 
And that's exactly what happened to you, Ryan. So I, I know so many people who are just so set, like, okay, we've always done it this way. So we're going to continue to do it this way. And so they'll hear maybe an idea. Maybe it's a staff meeting. Maybe it's you go to a class and it's, it's so funny. I'll go to a class and I'm so excited because my, my personality type is the wow. Okay. And then I, but a lot of my team members are like, but how? And so they're more cynical, right? So their adaptability isn't as strong. Whereas me, I'm like, let's change everything overnight, right? And that's not good either, obviously. But, you know, small shifts, let's strategize. It's great to have a team of people, all different personality types. But talk to that person right now that's holding back their life, holding back their dreams because they're not willing to adapt. They're not willing to pivot. What's that untold story for you? And what do people need to do to become more adaptable? Well, um, at any stage in your life, you need to be able to adapt. And we've talked about students in school and we've talked about established stylists and they're, you know, leaders of companies. And just for, when you're not willing to acknowledge what's not working, it's going to grow. And there are going to be people that are just going to want to stay comfortable, but they need to know the price that they're paying for that comfort. And it's kind of like, I don't know, other healthy choices I, I look at for myself. Like I try to, I, I care about eating healthy and, and trying to take care of my body because I know that in this moment, maybe I don't feel like doing that, but if I don't do it 10 years from now, what kind of repercussions am I going to have from that? So I use kind of like the, the, the consequence to help motivate me and get my, head out of the sand and not, you know, try to live in a bubble where I'm not really being aware of what's going on around me and the people around me. And like we said before, you can't force anyone to, to share with you or be honest with you, but you could try to start listening to where you need to change or just start by identifying what's not being, what's not working and being honest with yourself is the first place to start. Um, and really trying to, trying to look, because if you can see a little glimmer of something that isn't working and you dig a little deeper, you'll probably find a whole lot more that you could actually go from there and, and face head on. And things always seem so much more scary when you don't talk about them, when you don't face them. Or like, if I know I have to, to meet with someone about something that, I don't want to call it a confrontation, but something has to be discussed. It's going to feel really feel anxious, feel the anxiety, the buildup. But as soon as two people can just be open and honest with each other, all that, you know, floats away and both people leave feeling much better. So mm. um, <laughs> that might be kind of what you're saying. Um, yeah, no, that's good. I love that you said when you're not willing to acknowledge what's not working, it's going to grow. Yeah. And I was just imagining this like toxic tree, like a dead tree, right? And, and we look around and we see people, they're just so full of dead trees. They're so full of hatred, so full of anger that they have fear. There's so many things that just kind of show up. They're not living their best life. They're they're angry at their boss. They're angry at everyone around them. You know, we'd all know these types of people. They're always negative. They, you know, the grass grows grown, you know, greener on the other side, you know, it must be better over there. So I think I'll leave it. And I watch people uh, leave salons, for instance, after a year or two, they just give up, mm -hmm. right? They just give up because they're so mad and so angry, their victim mindset. And I love that you said, get your head out of the sand. You've got to beware always identify what's not working and be honest with yourself and get around coaches and, and people that can help you be coachable, right? Stop fighting your coach, right? But I, I want to clarify something because, you know, I said the way I look at things for myself is as a leader of an organization of people, a, a team of people, I always want to look to myself when something's not working in that situation. But that doesn't mean that every other person doesn't play an equal role of responsibility in what they're bringing to the space and to their own careers. Uh, my, my thing I might need to bring to it is I have to help them find a better path for themselves that isn't going to disrupt the company or 
help them realize if they're in alignment. So I'm not saying that everything is our fault that everybody else does, but it's like we need to be the ones that take control and help figure out why it's happening and how to make it better. But from a stylist perspective or a future professional perspective, like I would look at my, if I was a stylist or the future professional, look at myself and go, okay, my career isn't working. Why is it not working? Because I'm the only one who's truly responsible for it. Am I, am I being honest about why it's not working? Is, is it the, the teachers that, the, that aren't teaching me or am I not showing up hundred percent? Is it the, salon that's not providing the opportunity or is it me not showing up 100% and following through with the opportunity that is provided so I don't I didn't want to like not bring that full circle because mm -hmm. it, no, it's good that perspective and if we from the top down all had that perspective then everybody would take responsibility over their part and things would be would be pretty seamless so yeah no I love that you said that because I made that actually number seven own the perception what part did you play in this mm -hmm. everything that happens is your fault mm -hmm. and so i always say the truth is always somewhere in between mm -hmm. right the truth is always somewhere in between so if you go into that thought process and it's like all of a sudden solutions start showing up but you're right it has to be where everyone owns their own perception at that point and just be gentle and just be kind and Bottom line is go and asking, don't go and accusing, go and asking with people. So I made that number seven. Number eight, I love that you talked about this because we just read a book, our team, our salon leaders called The Radical Candor. And we're still continuing to go through mm -hmm. this book. It's so good. And, and you, you kind of said, don't avoid candor with people. And so let's talk about that because that's probably the scariest thing. I think most people want to be people pleasers. They don't want to be people challengers, right? As a leader, you have to have hard conversation. There's no way. Stop living in the future. Something that I kind of took away that I'm going to start doing, which I love, and especially with our leaders, is to, you said, what outcome do you want to create? And so I pictured just writing it down. What outcome do you want to create? And it's like, you know, the secret, like this is the outcome that I want. Like, I'm just picturing that I'm going to go in there so kind and ask forward focused questions. And the person on the other side is going to embrace it and say, wow, yes, I own my part in that. How can I be better? And just kind of walk through like a really great scenario that might happen, you know, and just prepare my heart and my mind. Because I think sometimes when I have failed in these areas, Ryan, and, and I, you know, I'd like you to address this too, because I'm sure you failed too, because we all do, is my emotions are so high. You know, mm -hmm. when your emotions yeah. are high, your brain cells are few. Absolutely. And so I'm not able to really articulate exactly what I want to say. And so sometimes I just have to step back. And, you know, I, I also, one more thing I want to say about this, we shouldn't be having random, radical candor via text or email, mm -hmm. we should pick up the phone or meet it better yet meet in person. Yeah. Because what even on the phone, sometimes you just can't really feel like, like the, you can't see the nonverbals of how someone really cares, they might sound mean, and you might uh, have a different, you know, thing that you're throwing off, right. And so meet in person to say, Hey, can we meet for coffee right before we get, you know, to the salon or get to work so that we can, you know, talk a little bit. So talk about that with you. How have you been able to avoid high emotions? What have you done? I, my manager laughs because she says nothing bothers me. And I'm, it's not that nothing bothers me. I just try not to let it control me. And at the end of the day, we're as long as no one died. <laughs> I mean, it's weird for me to say that, but that mm -hmm. anything else we can pretty much work through. So to let something, you know, take over me, I try really hard not to. Some things are going to hurt me. Some things are going to upset me. Sometimes I'm going to get like these things are going to happen. We're human, but to what degree do you let it run away with you, or do you run away with that? Um, I've come a long way in watching learning how I'm saying things and how I sound to other people. That's one of my big um, victories is that I, I just always spoke the way that I spoke and I thought that that was right. And if you didn't get it, then <laughs> you were wrong or if you were too emotional or you like, 
I take a lot more responsibility for how other people are hearing me. I still try to, I'm still blunt and direct. I can't, I'm not going to change who I am and how I talk and I don't sugarcoat things, but there's a way to say it that's going to connect better to people and everybody's going to be different too. And that's part of learning your people um, than just saying it the way that you would prefer to just blurt it out. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah, know know their love language, know their personality type, and we're we're actually doing a leadership retreat on Tuesday with our salon team, and it's so cool because it teaches you how to communicate with each other. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, we're not going to graduate just in one event with each other. We're going to have to keep studying this and keep studying yeah. each other and, and to understand each other. But that's mm-hmm. what is most important. And I love what you said, Ryan, because I want to stay on this for a minute because it really hit home. Is Uh, learn what I say and how I sound to people. And I recommend a lot of times to people to say, Hey, why don't you record? Like if you're going to do it via zoom, let's say you could record it. Mm -hmm. And if it's in person, because we do a lot of offsite coaching like this. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes via zoom record it. Say, do you mind if I record it? Right. And so, uh, and then you can listen back to yourself and grade yourself at that point. And we, what we've done in the past is we'll have in person and I'll, I'll have someone with me. And then afterwards I'll just say, Hey, how did I do? How could I have done better? Yeah. That's a great idea. You know? And and so it just helps you to communicate better and to have, you can't avoid radical candor. Uh, Number nine, I put down, uh, you've got to remove toxic people from your team. Mm-hmm. So has this happened to you where you've had to remove somebody and, and what has that been like for you? Talk through that process, someone that might have a toxic person on their team, or even let's, let's talk to the people on our team that know there's someone's toxic. What do they do? How do they address it? And the leader is the last one to even know. Talk through that. Yeah. I think that goes back to culture. Uh, having, expectations and a common goal. Uh, It's easy to get away from this. That's why you do have to do it constantly be working on protecting and creating your culture and evolving because you can have a team building session, like you said, and it doesn't last for a year. You know, when do you need one again? Do you need it in a month? Do you need it in three months? Do you need it in six months? Um, Who's coming and going from your team? Who's going through different things? Who's evolved as a person? So, I realized that I have to put consistent effort toward creating consistency and culture and sure they <laughs> sometimes they don't want to tell me things because I know I'm going to be like, okay, we're going to confront this head on, ready to have a talk, let's all. Um, but one of the things we established a long time ago to cut down on like bickering and this and that would be you have, there's no gossip gossips when you talk about something that has to do with anybody other than who's involved. and. If you just go to the person involved and address it directly that day or, you know, within 24 hours or so, um, and just squash it. So um, having a little bit of, you know, and I'm there for support if needed, but just deal with it yourself so it doesn't have to turn into a bigger thing. And then if I start to catch wind of it, then I'll get involved and I'll help mediate. So. Mm, Wow. (laughs) <laughs> okay, so this is beautiful because what you said, toxic people are gossip people, people who gossip. And so let's talk through that process again because I've heard people say, well, I wasn't gossiping, I was just venting. Yeah, that's, <laughs> you're spreading something that is unwanted. And why is that bad? Why is it bad to vent? Talk to the person right now that says, I wasn't gossiping. I was just venting. I was really hurting. I needed somebody to talk to at that moment. Simply put, it's going back to that codependency that we talked about. You're unloading something unhealthy and you're bringing them down into that unhealthy place. So it's just a circle of nothing's getting resolved. Nothing's getting fixed. What would be the way to handle that is if you have a problem, I guess you could talk to like, friends and family outside of work, but really the only way that you're going to get a true change is to talk to the person or the, the people involved in what you have a problem with. Have you ever um, ran into people on your team or people that you know that always have issues with someone? And I always say, if you got issues with people all the time, issue, like maybe you should look uh, in the mirror. <laughs> in all situations. 
Yes. Like no brainers. But again, people can only see to the level they're ready to see. Awareness comes Mm. in so many different, I think of like a bubble around you, you know, maybe the bubble's getting bigger. There's, it encompasses more and I can see more and more aware of more outside of me. It's like the, like my eyes only right now see what they see. Some people, I think that vision gets smaller and smaller and they can only see this little through this little hole of what's happening in their lives. And they can't see all the cause and effect and how all the other people around them are and that they do have control over what they're creating. Some people might take their whole life to get there and some people might get through those stages really quickly and it's going to be different for everybody, but they have to be ready to, to make that change. And, and I was just thinking about like, be careful, the type of business that you get into and the type of business you and I have is employee base W2 employee base versus getting into an independent contracting salon where you have all independently owned people in their business. There's no boss that can control this type of culture because first of all, you're violating the, yeah. uh, the, you know, the workplace. Yeah. Legally, yeah. yeah. legally it's, you can't. The, it's, it's like, um, you know, everybody's, it, it's, it's like, a, it's a more of a, like a landlord situation than it landlord. is. Landlord. Yes. Uh, okay. And that's okay. It's not a bad thing, but it's like, it's what's bad is when people don't know, what they're getting into and why they're getting into it. Yes. So, yes. Yeah. Perfectly said. So you can't control that culture and environment. Cause I know most people, they want to get into a company that has great culture, right? They want to be, but they don't know what they're getting into because most of our students out of school, they haven't educated themselves. They don't understand the difference of pay structure. Yeah. And so like really, really trying to help them through that process before they make that decision, right? And I take that really, really serious. And so talk about this for a moment because how do you create that culture of no gossip and how do you have that conversation with your team? We're gonna actually be talking about communication tips and what's expected, what's unexpected and really drill down a little bit more what gossip is on our team to really create that culture of no gossip on our team. So can you talk about that, how you do that? Yeah. So with anything else, um, we believe that everybody plays a role in creating the culture and in the leadership and the ownership of it. So if you can't look to someone else to say, this isn't happening because they're not making it happen. Like look at yourself and where are you upholding that? So I try to empower um, leaders in in all aspects of our, of our company. Uh, We have a a hierarchy in different ways to help. Like we have our safeguards and we have our, our um, more senior members of the team that are stylists. We have management and all that. Um, But everybody's accountable to everybody. So if someone's making you feel, if someone's, not upholding the culture and you're not holding them accountable, you're doing the same thing by not upholding the culture. Um, so I just try to put it in everybody's hands. You know, everybody has the right to uphold it. No one is exempt from that. And no one like doesn't have the right to, because they're less senior than someone else. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah. What happens if it's a leader? And so talk to the teams right now out there, companies, what happens if it's a leader coming in and gossiping, let's say about owners or gossiping about situation or other staff members to staff members, right? So talk to the team. What should they do if they see their own leader violating culture? I would speak to the person directly first and foremost and tell them how I'm feeling based on their actions because sometimes no one's perfect, even though they're in a quote unquote leadership position, they might not have the skills to, to see how they're affecting other people, or they might not realize that they're coming off that way. So I always like to give people the benefit of the doubt by the respect of telling them what I'm feeling versus, and it'll avoid, I think I have way more impact than going to whoever their person is above them. Um, So I think going straight to the person and it takes courage and it does take um, <laughs> guts to do that. But at the end of the day, like, again, what's the worst that's going to happen? What's happening now isn't good. So mm-hmm. it's going to only get better or you're going to have to find a better place 
to be. And to think through all the different options of what could happen is one of those things that creates anxiety that's unnecessary. Um, just create that culture of communication. Like you, can, you need to go to the person involved. If that's not going well, okay, at least you tried. You gave them the chance. It's not coming out of nowhere for them. And then you can go to the person above them. And that you, if you just look the other way, then you need to expect that your environment is not going to be what you want it to be. Yeah, that's so good. Yeah, you have to be resilient. You have to have those tough conversations. You have to speak up. You have to lead your boss, right? And so it's going to help you to really, really grow into the leader that you are designed to be. So I love that. And what I put down for number 10 uh, was practice meditation. I love that you said that because I have not been able to sleep. I've had some really tough things happening in business, in my life this past week. And I have been playing the Abide meditation app it's probably one of the best ones and i just i lay there and listen and it's it, they're reading scripture and praying over me like i almost enveloped with god's presence and it helps me to sleep and it's just been incredible my days have been going so much better even though i can't sleep right <laughs> and so it's it's like changed my life because i kept hearing about meditation meditation i could not find a good app for me that worked so I was playing it last night before i went to bed my husband was like that's like too loud. That's bugging me. And then all of a sudden, 10 minutes in, cause it's, it was a 30 minute one. And, and he's like, keep that on. Don't turn that off. <laughs> he was enjoying it. You had to just give, you know, give him some time. Yeah. And I love that you said you have to take care of yourself to help take care of others. That is really huge. Uh, you find the right one for you. And then I put down number 11, because we can't let the skate uh, to be resilient is plan out your day, it, earn your relaxation time, because it feels so much better when you earn it, you don't feel so guilty, like you said, you actually enjoy it more. Okay, so here we went, uh, to be resilient, remove toxic people from your life, two, believe in yourself, three, don't wait for someone else, find a way, four, acceptance of people choices, five, know yourself to grow yourself, Six, be able to adapt, be able to pivot. Seven, own the perception. Eight, don't avoid radical candor in your life. Nine, uh, remove toxic people from your team. Address small challenges or red flags when they occur. Number 10, practice meditation. And then we said number 11, plan out your day. Did I miss anything that you do to be resilient, Ryan? <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's a lot. <laughs> you're like yeah that's me sounds like me I love it so so Ryan uh, what is the next step for you in your life what are you gonna do what's your big hairy audacious goal I like to say and how can people get a hold of you how can they yeah. find you so uh contacting me I am on Facebook um under Ryan my name is spelled R Y A N N so there's two N's <laughs> and then Halo H-A-L-O um, so I just have a normal like Facebook page, but I also have Instagram, of course, and um, our emails on the salon website, salon-halo.com, if that works better for you. But um, everybody, I feel like most people right now are using a lot of Instagram to communicate. So same on Instagram, Ryan, R-Y-A-N-N underscore Halo, H-A-L-O. And uh, yeah, I'm very much open to... Um, if anybody just wants to say hi or ask any questions, uh, I love that. Right now, I'm actually, um, I have a couple of coaching clients uh, that are business owners in the beauty industry, and I am enjoying that. So, I, like I said, I really just believe in trying to help other people get what they want. And I always, I've said the Zig Ziglar quote for a long time and it came up, somebody else said it the other day. I'm like, that's, that's what I love to say. And it's just that if you help enough other people get what they want, you'll have everything that you want. And, uh, that's totally, I believe, you know, my purpose in life now is just to take everything I've experienced and use it to help other people. Um, so I am open to, um, strategic coaching and consulting, and that can look different for different people, depending on their needs and making sure that, you know, I can be of a good fit for them. And then as a team, Salon Halo is working on Salon Halo Academy. So, uh, I have a lot of really strong team members and we all believe in a similar, you know, similar principles and we want to 
down the road, my plan is to, and that's actually one of the things I try to, you know, that I try to look for mentors like you and some other people, because I do want to, uh, we do want to have a cosmetology slash cosmetology business personal development school in the upcoming years. Uh, but for right now, we're going to be doing coaching and doing some I education love it. salons and our salon. So cool, Ryan. You are just absolutely amazing. I adore you. I cannot thank you enough for doing this. Any last piece of advice for anyone listening today? I think, you know, just what I said about the, the Zig Ziglar quote, um, it's mm. easy to look at what you don't have enough of or why you can't give back or why you can't just maybe help somebody every day in a small way. And uh, just instead of finding the reasons why you can't just do it, <laughs> and you'll realize that it will pay off and it will lead to things you wouldn't even expect. And um, when you have very little and you give it, you know, it even means that much more and it'll teach you more and, you know, that's it. Powerful. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ryan. Thanks for listening. And don't forget to send us your stories of transformation through www.tinablack.net. If you enjoyed this podcast, be sure to give it a rating and subscribe. See you next time.